know, we conclude our series today uh, on the run. And as we've looked at this the past few weeks, we have looked at different aspects of what it might mean to be on the run. And we looked at what it means to be on the run from God uh, because of sin that we have in our life and how we have to deal with that. We looked at what it means to be on the run from enemies. We looked at what it means to be overcome with fear, that uh, fear is a tool of the enemy, that fear is not a spirit that God gives us. Uh, Paul makes that clear when he writes to Timothy, that fear is something that overcomes us, and fear can isolate us. Fear separates us from God, but fear also isolates us from other people. And that when we are overcome with fear, that we don't make the best decisions in the world. And so we looked at uh, what it means uh, to be on the run in different ways. And today uh, we're going to look at uh, a different aspect of being on the run. And uh, we're going to look at the story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. And the backstory is that God has approached Abram. And God has promised Abram, he has made a covenant with Abram, that his descendants are going to be too numerous to count. That they're going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the shore. And of course, if you think about looking up into a, a starry sky on a clear night, especially if you are out somewhere where there is no what uh, astronomers would call light pollution, if you're out in an isolated place where uh, you don't have street lights and security lights all around you, and you can look up and see just the vast number of stars on a clear night, if you've been to the beach and you can imagine what it would be like to even make an attempt to count the grains of sand. Both are acts of futility, aren't they? And so this is the promise to Abram. The problem is he and his wife, because this is prior to their name changes, so he's Abram and she's Sarai, and so uh, begin to get a little impatient and so Sarai says, you know, I've got a way for you to have, for us to, to conceive this heir. And it involves an Egyptian slave girl named Hagar. And so let's pick it up in Genesis 16, beginning with verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. 
Sarah is at this point where she's just impatient. She, she thinks, well, maybe God wants me to make the move. And so something that was a known practice in ancient times, when someone could not have an heir through their spouse, and if they had a servant, then they would have used that servant as sort of a surrogate mother. And it would ensure that the household would have the heir that they desired. The problem we had in this story is that once Hagar who is a slave, we know that, that once Hagar becomes pregnant with Abram's child, then she sees herself now as all of a sudden having a place of value where she felt like she didn't before. And not the best approach by her, but apparently she seems to sort of hold that over Sarai. Sarai quickly comes to resent it. And we know that Sarai mistreats Hagar. Now, we don't know if this is verbal abuse, if you know what what to what level this might have been physical. We don't really know all the details here. We just know that the relationship had become so tense that Hagar feels like the best move that she can make is to run and to run away. And now God approaches her, approaches her through a messenger and says, you know, Hagar, what are you, what are you doing here? And so she says, well, it's because of the way my mistress has treated me. And she's told, go back to your mistress. Go back. And if you go back, then I am going to give you descendants too numerous to count. Verse 11, The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now, church family, that statement by Hagar should not go unnoticed. It shouldn't be something that we overlook. In the Hebrew, she gives him the name Ilroy, which means the God who sees me. Now, if you've ever experienced a time in your life when you were going through something and you knew what it was like to feel invisible, then you might have a glimpse into what Hagar felt like. Hagar wondered as she ran away, does anybody care? Do I matter? Now, we know the scripture makes it clear that this son that she would bear to Abram, Ishmael, while there were many descendants, while he is looked at as the father of the Arab people, that it's clear that this is not part of God's plan. 
that this is not the air through which God would bless all these people and give this choice land some years later. But yet it shows that God cares, I think, about everyone. And even those who were not directly part of his plan, that God sees them and God cares about them. And church family, one of the points of this message is that God sees you and God cares about you. I remember some years ago, standing in line at, uh, at the time it was Morrow's Food Town, now Powers, but standing in line and paying for my food. And I had probably been here about a year, year and a half. And there was a lady from another congregation. She and her son, who was probably in middle school, were behind me in line. And uh, and the, the lady, you know, spoke to me, and so we exchanged pleasantries. And I knew the name of her child, and so I addressed her child. And the lady came up to me sometime later, a week, couple weeks later, month later. I can't remember exactly the length of time, but she comes up to me and says, "You know, you don't know how much that meant to my child." that you spoke to them and called them by name. Such a, something I didn't even think about. I was grateful that I knew the kid's name, and so I addressed the child. But what, when they got to the car, the child said, Mom, that preacher from that other church knew my name. He knows me. That child experienced in that moment just, I think, a small portion of what Hagar experienced out in that wilderness where she says, you're the God who sees me to be seen, to be addressed, to be named is to know that you matter, right church? So church, let's never overlook the opportunity we have when we're out and about because we know that we come into this place to worship the Almighty Father. But where we show the love of Jesus is outside of these walls, amen? Where we show the love of Jesus is outside of these walls, amen? Yeah. It's not about what goes on here. The measure of our love for humanity, for those like us created in the image of God, is what we do outside of these walls Monday through Saturday. And so never make light of the opportunity to speak to someone, to encourage them, to call them by name. Those reminders that other people matter to us. Now, what was Hagar told to do? Hagar was told, go back to your mistress. In other words, that the blessings of Hagar's life were not going to be experienced until she made an effort to go back to Sarai. 
And so sometimes you run away from something. And sometimes what God tells us is you need to go back. You need to go back to that person. That church people. And we're going to look at a verse from the New Testament, that, a couple of verses from the New Testament that remind us of this a little later on. But we, as people who are followers of Jesus, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, how we treat other people matters. And that is something we never need to forget. We always need to be aware of the fact that how we treat other people matters greatly. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. And that's tough, isn't it? How tough is it to wait on God sometimes? You know, what's that saying? Boy, when one door closes, another door opens. But the people that like to throw that phrase out often don't tell us that the reality is sometimes we're in that hallway for quite a while. And sometimes our time in the hallway waiting for something to happen can be rough. Sometimes that time in the hallway can be pure hell. And so we're waiting for that other door to open. And so sometimes, sometimes we get to that point where we're, we're, we're like Sarai. I can't blame her. I really can't. I understand what it's like to, to say, well, okay, I'm not going to wait much longer. I know what it's like to put a timetable on God. I've done that before. I know what it's like to say, okay, God, you know, if, if this is not in place by such and such date, then this is what I'm going to do. 2012, living in Kentucky, and tired of waiting on knowing where God was going to send me and my family. And I said, okay, Lord, if I don't know something by Labor Day, then the resumes are going to quit going to churches. And they're going to, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go sell furniture, if I'm going to go sell cars. I don't know what I'm going to go do. But my background prior to ministry was in sales. And so here we are in the summer of 2012. And then God said, there's a reason you've been in that hallway. I had to wait for that other guy to leave. So you had a place to go. Praise God. At least I say praise God. You may not, you may not feel the same way, but, but I say praise God. Because I know what it's like to be in that hallway for over a year. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that time in the hall waiting for that other door to open. And I remember David Curry. Some of you remember David. Went through a similar situation. 
moved from Texas after a ministry position there, after something went south, and moved to Hohenwald to live with his parents, family of four. Hoped that he would be here four to six months. They were here for two years. And he's been in Endwell, New York ever since then. But David experienced that time in the hallway. And David interviewed with I don't know how many different congregations. And David got to the point. And I don't think he'd mind me telling you all. He got to the point where he said, okay, maybe ministry is not in my future. And so he started studying for certifications. And he was going to go into, uh, into you know, computer repair and uh, setting up networks for people's businesses and offices and things like that. And he was already studying you know, for those certifications that were necessary to do what he thought would be the next good option for him. And so sometimes it's at that point that we're ready to throw in the towel and say, I don't know what's next, Lord, but I can't wait much longer that God shows us a path forward. And so blessed church are those who are willing to wait on God. I will not pretend that it's easy. I'm not going to spew those rays of sunshine because it's not. But we are blessed by God when we do hard things. Just like Hagar was blessed by God when she did that hard thing. That hard thing of going back to somebody who has been treating you very badly. And yet she did it. And I think there was a period of about 13 years uh, before... Abraham and Sarah uh, are blessed with their son Isaac. And so we know that their time waiting was significant. But it doesn't change the fact that it matters how we treat people. And as we work toward a close this morning, looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I was watching uh, the, the news channel Headline News. Uh, was running uh, for the last few days a West Wing marathon. Now, some of you know that I still proclaim that as one of the greatest shows that's ever been put on network television. But uh, there was a there uh, is a scene where the president, who is a Christian, is talking to two of his senior advisors who are Jewish. And they're talking about, uh, he mentions, he said, you know, Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is the, the holy of holy days for the Jewish people. That is the day where the high priest would go in and atone for the sins of the people. Go to that innermost place that only the high priest could go in the temple. And... Um, 
And so Yom Kippur is still celebrated by the Jewish people as a day that they ask God for forgiveness of their sins. But what the president brought up, he said, I didn't realize that there is the day before Yom Kippur that you have to ask for forgiveness from other people. You think about the last year, it's a way of kind of taking inventory every year. Who have I been at odds with in the last 12 months? Who have I, who have I wronged? Who have I had harsh words with? And so you take that day and you go, and I think it's called something like Erat Yom Kippur, but you go and you make amends with other people before you ask God to forgive you of your sins. And it reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 when he says, if you feel like you have offended someone else before you lay your gift at the altar, in other words, before you come and worship, it's very important that you go to that person and apologize. Go to that person and whatever it takes, make it right. And then you come and worship me. Because church family, let's remember that our faith isn't just about our relationship with God. Our faith is built on our relationship with other people. How we treat other people. And that is the one thing that separates Christianity from uh, the other major religions that the world observes. How we treat other people matters. Let's never forget that. Let's be people that bear with each other and forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven us. Let's be people who understand that when we are overcome by fear, that we know that fear is not of God. That we are people who understand that God sees us. That no matter where we are in life, that God is all-seeing. And I know for some people that you're like, ooh, wish you wouldn't see everything. Yeah. But the beauty is, when we approach Him with a repentant heart, He forgives everything. Because the blood that Jesus shed on the cross we know covers a multitude of sins. Amen, church? Yeah. So let's worship this God. Let's be grateful for a God who sees each and every one of us. Who sees even the people that other people don't see. Who sees the people that other people may not think have very much value who sees the people who are not directly part of his plan necessarily, but that he sees them and that he cares for them. He sees each one of us and he cares for us. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet availed yourself to the gift of God's grace, then we make the waters of baptism available to you this morning that you can participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of your old self just as Jesus died and was raised to life. 
You can conquer death because Jesus conquered death. And we offer you the invitation for the reason that maybe you're dealing with something in your life. It's just more than you can handle. And you'd just like to walk the aisle this morning and ask for the prayers of a body of believers so that you know that you've got dozens of people that have your back. We offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's all stand together and sing.